Exodus chapter 11. Come to the announcement of the final plague. And the Lord said to Moses, I will bring yet one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. Speak now in the hearing of the people, and let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. Then Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the maidservant who is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of the beasts. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it, nor shall be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And all these, your servants, shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, and all the people who follow you. After that, I will go out. Then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. But the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. Let's pray. Father, please don't harden our hearts, soften our hearts. Open our minds to understand the scriptures. Help us to see in this announcement of the death of the firstborn the greater announcement that your son would die to save us. We pray that you would give us freedom from distraction, focus, meet with us as we hear your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Proverbs informs us that by humility, which is the fear of the Lord, come riches, honor, and life. We haven't seen a lot of that so far for Israel and Egypt. But in this chapter, all three elements come to the fore. Life, as the firstborn are spared. Riches, as the Egyptians hand over their gold and silver and jewelry. And honor, as the Egyptians bow down before Moses, as they have extreme favor in their hearts toward the children of Israel God keeps his promises. Yet, who was it that fears God? The chapter doesn't say that that the Israelites feared God, or even that Moses did. It's for the sake of someone else's fear of God, seemingly, that Israel is rewarded with riches, honor, and life. Israel, ultimately, as we know, was granted these blessings because of Jesus, God's firstborn, who died to deliver us from bondage. For the sake of his firstborn, God spared Israel, his firstborn son. 
So what we'll see is that the announcement of the tenth plague that brings riches, honor, and life is extraordinarily appropriate, it's extraordinarily effective, and yet it still founders on the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. First of all, it's appropriate. We've talked about this a little bit, but what if God had delivered after the plague of flies? Redemption comes through flies. Pharaoh heard the buzzing and he gave up. He hated flies so much that he decided to let Israel go. Or the frogs, or the lice, or the hail. Climactic as it was in many ways, right? Deliverance comes through frozen water falling out of the sky. But that's not the lesson that God wanted to leave his people with. It was that deliverance is possible only through the death of the firstborn. And that's why this plague is so appropriate. Redemption comes really ultimately in only one way. Not through the death of animals. Not through the smashing of buildings and trees and death of plants but only through the death of the firstborn. But also, the flip side of that, the flip side of the death of the firstborn, is the sparing of the firstborn. And that's what verse 7 is. Against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue. God kills the Egyptian firstborn in order to, to deliver the firstborn of his own people. He saves the firstborn of his people by killing the firstborn of their enemies. That's the announcement of the tenth plague. But we know that God would outdo himself even in this. And that ultimately, he would spare us, spare the enemy firstborn, by killing his own instead. So as great as this Exodus plague is, not as great as the ultimate consummation at the crucifixion. So how effective is this announcement? Well, one thing we haven't heard in the other nine plagues is what they meant for Israel and its daily life. Was their slavery increased or diminished? As all the Egyptians came down with boils, did the taskmasters take the day off because they had boils? During the plague of darkness, when Israel had light, were they able to go into the land of Egypt and still see and help themselves to whatever they wanted while all the people around them were totally blinded? Moses hasn't gone into any of that. But what we have here is a statement of how this plague will affect Israel. How? Well, when the firstborn die, Israel inherits everything worth having. The first thing they inherit is life. Life in two senses. The first is being driven out of slavery. Afterward, he will let you go, verse 1. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. There will be no strings attached to the deliverance from Egypt. There's not going to be any demand for tribute. There won't be an Egyptian garrison still in the land of Israel that When you go, you will be completely gone, completely free from the deadly tyranny, the baby-murdering tyranny of Pharaoh. But in addition to freedom from service to Pharaoh, Israel is liberated to serve God and to know God, and that's what life consists in, to 
to know God and therefore to worship Him. Israel gains life through being driven out, through being brought out of Egypt, released from service to Pharaoh, freed to serve the Lord. And that's where we are. We are free to serve the Lord. We have true life, eternal life, the life that comes from not living for what I feel like doing right now, but the life that comes from living for God, serving God, doing what pleases Him with our hours and days. We're free to serve God. That means we have life. Second is riches. Verse 2, Speak now in the hearing of the people that every man asked from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And the text seems to be implying that the favor was such that if you were an Israelite, you could go to your Egyptian neighbor, employer, slave driver, whoever, and say, you have any jewelry you'd like to give me? And they would say, you know, as a matter of fact, I do. I've just been thinking of giving you this, my, my mother's ring, my little hoard of gold in case things go south in Egypt. We can't even imagine such a thing. I know we all have good friends in this congregation, but probably if you went to one of your fellow church members and said, I hear you have a pretty nice gun collection, pretty nice jewelry collection, pretty nice car collection. What would you say to giving me one of your top pieces? But God supernaturally intervenes in the hearts of the Egyptians to make them so in awe of Israel, so impressed that they just readily hand this stuff over. Well, of course, you can have my, my favorite thing. How is this possible? Well, it's a graphic illustration of what God says later in the Pentateuch in Deuteronomy. You shall remember the Lord your God. And I love this King James phrase, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. It is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he sware unto thy fathers, as it is this day. Where does wealth come from? Not from the mint. From the printing press, from the bank, from mega corporations, from your paycheck, not even ultimately from trade, mining, growing. Wealth comes from the Lord. It is He that giveth thee power to get wealth. So Israel is our slaves, they have nothing. And so to show them that God has the power to give them wealth. He just lets them go next door, knock on the door, and say, hey, could I have $15,000 worth of Amazon stock? And the neighbor says, well, yeah, I was just about to come over to your house and offer it to you. How is this possible? It's only because God gives wealth. Proverbs also says, he who increases his wealth by interest and usury gathers it for him who is gracious to the poor. The one who increases wealth by being greedy, by sucking the life out of other people, he is piling it up 
just so God can take it away and give it to a generous individual. And that's what happened to the Egyptians. What's the lesson for us? If you're hanging on to your wealth and saying, every dime in my pocket is for me, every cent in my savings account is for me, everything in my retirement account is for me, for me to spend on what I want, my fun, my pleasure, my trips, my clothes, my cars, my favorite foods, then you're an Egyptian. And God is going to take that wealth and give it to somebody who will be generous with it. And he may change your heart to make you generous, as he did for a day or two with the Egyptians. Or he may take it from you in some more dramatic fashion. Be an Israelite and use your wealth to serve God in the wilderness of this world. Finally, there's massive status for God's people. The man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt. The palace staff were incredibly impressed with Moses. They saw him come in and they were just in awe. Any of you have seen Michelangelo's carving of Moses on the tomb of Pope Julius? You know that Seemingly, Michelangelo took his cue from this verse. You look at the statue and you say, nobody could disrespect this man. Not with muscles like that. Everyone would speak politely to Michelangelo's Moses. But everyone did. All the courtiers, all the everyday Egyptians, they were astonished with how great Moses was. And in fact, Moses has the guts to say in verse 8, your servants, Pharaoh, your servants are going to come serve me. All these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me just like they do to you. Your courtiers come into the courtroom and kneel to the king. Guess who else they're going to come kneel to? Saying, get out and all the people who follow you. Well, it's a funny thing to say, right? They'll be begging me to do the thing you haven't let me do for the last year. Your servants who ostensibly serve you are more interested in serving me and begging me to fulfill my own plans. That's how great Moses is in the land of Egypt. By the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Now there's something to this, that those who fear God and live in integrity are respected, even if somewhat grudgingly, by their enemies, by those who don't live that way. And that is the case with Moses. I'm not going to say that Pharaoh respected him. Certainly everyone else in Egypt did. There's honor for God's people in that They're given this massive wealth transfer. There's honor for God's man. And in fact, Moses seemingly conflates the honor due to God with the honor due to him. If you notice, Moses' entire speech, starting in verse 4, is a thus says the Lord. And the I of verse 4 is God speaking. I will go out and the firstborn of Egypt will die. And then the first person pronoun doesn't reappear until verse 8. It's almost like God is saying through Moses to Pharaoh, 
all the servants of Pharaoh will come and bow down to me, to Yahweh, and tell me to leave Egypt. Kind of like the reaction in after Jesus sent the demons into the herd of swine and the locals come out and what's all they can think of? Please go away. <laughs> Just leave. We don't need you here. That's how unbelievers handle the presence of God. We don't want it. We don't need it. But they'll nonetheless bow down either to Moses or to God or to both in a sense and beg them to go. Because the presence of God really hampers my sin and my ability to do what I want. So don't let that be you. Rather seek the fear of the Lord that brings riches, honor, and life. So this is the announcement of the tenth plague. It's effective in terms of getting the Egyptians to honor Israel and transfer wealth to Israel. What it's not effective at doing is changing Pharaoh's heart. This is actually, if you can, verse 1 makes it appear that we've moved on. Maybe a few weeks or a month, just like with the other plague. But verse 8 makes it clear that actually Moses is still talking to Pharaoh from the previous moment. Right, they have this little screaming match at the end of verse of chapter 10. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me! Take heed to yourself that you see my face no more, for in the day you see my face you shall die. And Moses shot back, You have spoken well. I will never see your face again. And the narrator actually then reveals to us in chapter 11, verse 8, that Moses just keeps on standing there, and then he breaks out with this. Thus says the Lord, about midnight, I will go out into the land of Egypt. Right. Pharaoh, you think you're angry now? You think we have problems with each other now? So it appears that this plague on the firstborn comes within a day or two after the plague of darkness. And as soon as the darkness lifts, Pharaoh calls Moses in and screams at him and tells him, never see my face again. And Moses says, I won't. And then he says, by the way, about midnight, Yahweh will come and destroy every firstborn in the land of Egypt. And that makes Moses angry. And obviously Pharaoh was already angry. Anyone with a little professionalism, a little self-control can handle frogs, flies, and lice. Yeah, they're not the most fun. But nobody needs to get angry about a fly. But the death of the firstborn makes tempers flare. When you start threatening people's children, that's when they bear their fangs. And yet, as God says, Pharaoh will not heed you. So that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Right? God is set on delivering Israel through the death of the firstborn and nothing else. And so Pharaoh won't listen because God wants to multiply wonders 
So Moses and Aaron did all ten plagues, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go. Judgment and the announcement of judgment can't produce repentance and faith. Something inside us instinctively groans a little bit. If you're ever in some major city and you see the guy standing there holding up a sign about, you all are going to hell, and screaming at people on the sidewalk. And you just sigh and say, why is he doing that? What is the point? That's the kind of thing that hardens Pharaoh's heart. The announcement of judgment doesn't change minds, and certainly even the announcement of this judgment doesn't change Pharaoh's mind. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let Israel go. That refrain is echoed at the end of every plague, and here it is again, even at the end of the announcement of the final plague. Pharaoh is so stubborn, so full of backbone, that he won't kneel, won't knuckle under, won't submit. And so the announcement, in one sense, fails. God is coming to kill your firstborn unless you let his firstborn go. Which is exactly how the plagues open. Thus says the Lord, let my people go. Israel is my son, my firstborn. Oh, where is that? Somewhere in chapter 4. Yeah. The Lord said to Moses, chapter 4, verse 21, You shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn, so I say to you, Let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed I will kill your son, your firstborn. That was the opening threat. And here we've gone through nine plagues and this tenth threat closes out the cycle. And Pharaoh was unwilling to listen to any of the ten threats. He would rather lose his son than submit to God. Rather lose the most precious thing he had than give up his sin. Of course, that's all around us. People sacrificing their children to their sins. And it's in our own hearts. Very easy thing to do. It's the path of least resistance. And Pharaoh took it. So what do we learn as we try to wrap up the ten plagues? Well, we learn that God will stop at nothing to deliver his people. Not necessarily in the most efficient, casualty-free fashion, but in the most spectacular fashion that reveals the most about who he is. I am the God who is committed to my people. I am the God with control over every aspect of Egypt, its society, its nature, its crops, its animals, its foods, the bodies of Pharaoh and his servants and the Egyptian people. God can make them sick. God can make them healthy. Their sight and their ability to navigate and do anything in the world, God can take that away. And yet, Ultimately, only the death of the firstborn can deliver God's people from bondage. Nothing else can or will. Only through the Passover lamb can we be saved. 
from the plagues of Egypt, from the tyranny of Pharaoh, from the hardness of our own hearts. Don't look to judgment and pain for the wicked for salvation. It won't happen. It's through the death of the firstborn that God's people are saved. Let's pray. Father, we come now to You through Your firstborn, only begotten Son, who came and died so we could live. Father, we pray that You would help us soften our hearts. Don't let us meet the fate of Pharaoh. Let us come and bow down before You as Moses told Pharaoh, not to beg you to leave, but to beg you to stay. Be with us. Abide with us. Send your Son to be Emmanuel. Send your Spirit to remain in our hearts. We thank you that you have already done that. We thank you for your covenant by which you save us through the death of your firstborn Son and the inheritance which he left to us. Lord, help us, we pray. Trust your Son in the deliverance He has brought. And we pray tonight for the hard-hearted that you would give them softness of heart. In Jesus' name, amen.